Mitch Ferraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I expect so. I mean, I think it'll be be final. Um, until that point in time, um, we'll continue to try to figure that part out. But definitely looking forward to it. You know, my conversations with Matt um, have been fleeting. Um, but overall, I know that he's excited about being a part of this and, and, and pushing us in another direction. So uh, I'm excited. I know our fan base and players can't wait for that day. That was the president of basketball operations and general manager of the Suns, James Jones, when he joined Burns and Gambo earlier this week. Welcome into the final hour of Arizona Sports Saturday. Here in the Auction Community Studios, Mitch Veralda, Steve Zinsmeister here with you, Trevor Henry behind the glass. So the context of that soundbite from James Jones was clarity and does he expect it when this sale of ownership is finalized because we got the report this week that Matt Ishbia is expected to acquire the team before the deadline and additionally he is expected to be introduced the day before the trade deadline so a very small time window in trying to get these things figured out but clearly ownership might have a big play in what the Suns do with the upcoming trade deadline. Oh, it's huge. I mean, the word you used is clarity, and I think that's perfect because you've technically over the last couple of weeks had three owners. You have Robert Sarver who has limited control over what happens right now because of his suspension. He's supposed to be away from the game, but still, if there's a certain amount of dollars exchanged in a trade, he gets a say because it is still technically his team until the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Yes. You've got Garvin, who is the acting managing partner, I guess, Mm -hmm. who is basically filling in for Sarver while he's suspended. And then you have the guy that everyone knows is taking over in a week or two in Ishpia, who you can't give full control to until he actually makes the purchase of the team and has completely been vetted and it's announced and all that stuff. Right. But how much moves can you how many moves can you really make when you know that it's his vision that's going to be taking over in a week and there's like you mentioned there's not a lot of time between when he's finally going to sign the dotted line and when the trade deadline but you happens. have to imagine that Matt Ishbia also understands that he's acquiring a team that has already been actively trying to discuss at least one trade like Jay Crow- the Jay Crowder trade has been discussed as far as we know since the off season when he decided or the Suns decided, or we, st- we still don't know why that got to that point. But for now, it's easiest just to blame Jabe Crowder in all this. We're still waiting on something to happen. And to focus on that for the first part of this segment, is that kind of the big hang-up in all this that the Suns are trying to get through? That's and part of it. Go ahead, import- sorry. And, no, you're good. And more importantly, who's holding up who in this matter? Are the Suns asking for too much? Too little? Not what they want? What's what's happening? I don't even know how much of it is what they're asking. Because I've said for a long time that I feel like they were never going to get equal value back in a Jay Crowder trade. Because I feel that he put them in a situation where what team is going to be looking for a Jay Crowder in this scenario? Like normally a team that would want a Jay Crowder is a contending team, needs some good defense on the wing, a guy who can take a three for you, and can be a really good leader. But we're also The problem is... He doesn't want to be that for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. What team looks at Jay Crowder right now and says, well, if he doesn't want to play for the Suns because they told him he's not going to be a starter, which is what we all assume happened, Mm -hmm. then why would, I don't know, I'm just throwing names out there. We talked about the Wizards and the possibility of Kyle Kuzma or before Rui Hachimura was traded, there was an idea about that that got shot down. 
Why would a team like the Wizards make a trade for him if they're not going to start him? So here's Does Zach, he even want to start for another team? Right. Here's Zach Lowe on his recent Low Post podcast that he does for ESPN. This might hint at why a hang-up in the Crowder deal exists. Someone told me that, uh, that it has some interest in Crowder, that the, the Suns seem to want two of the following three things. A good young player, a first-round pick, and a rotation, a, almost a starter, Crowder-level player. Two of those three. And it's like, that's cool. Like That's why Jay Crowder hasn't been traded yet. So a young player, a first-round pick... And a solid rotational piece. They want two out of those three things. Here's a prediction. You're not going to get that. There's 30 games left in the season, and they're going to be acquiring a dude who sat on his ass for 50 of them. I think what you can realistically do is package Jay Crowder with another player or picks or both and get one of those three things. A young, talented player you can lock up potentially. Uh, a better draft pick, which wouldn't make much sense to me with where the Suns are at in their contention. I, think I, I don't think picks is the answer. I think what's going to be difficult is the rotational piece. Granted, he's going to take rotational minutes away from someone who probably shouldn't be having them, right? But yeah. at the same time, you're lessening minutes for the rest of the rotation that normally gets those minutes. Like, yeah, there's no way you're about to acquire a rotational piece and send Mikael Bridges out there for 40 minutes a night. But can that I be honest with you? Happen. I'm looking at the minutes from the last couple of games. So, like, take the Dallas game, right? You lose by four. Close game. Tough opponent. The team that knocked no you out in the Luka. playoffs. No Luka. I get it. But I look at that, I look at that game. Uh, 15 players played in that game for the Suns. A lot of people. But the bench? The bench was miserable. But the bench barely played. Most of those guys played three, five minutes at most. And a couple of, of guys played in like 13, 14 minutes. Part of that was Monty just could not find the best combination to put out there. I'm a little worried about the rotation playing uh, that many minutes because Chris Paul, since coming back from his injury, is playing 38, 40 minutes a night. Too much. Bridges is still playing 40. He played 42 in that game. Way too much. Aiton at 31. First He's game back capable from sickness. Yeah, Aiton's playing over 30 minutes a game after coming off of the flu or whatever it is that he had. They they ran out the five-man rotation and ran them ragged in that game against Dallas. But then look at the game before that. Charlotte, where you win by, how many was it, 28 or whatever it was, 25. But at the same time, they should have won by 40. And they rotated in the bench in that game. So for me, it's very evident to me that the team right now as it stands, and they're still a little shorthanded. Booker's out, Payne's out, uh, Shamit's missed a couple games too. Uh, it's clear to me that when they play a tough game, they go into playoff mode like they were in this past playoffs where they only played five or six guys a lot. And the bench was basically non-existent. And when they're up by 20 or 30, they go to the bench. Which makes sense to me, but they're going to run this team dry, man. It's just kind of embarrassing. I'm worried about that. It's embarrassing that they couldn't put the Mavericks away. If you look really deeply at the statistics, like the usage percentage of Luka Doncic this year, it's it's James Harden on the Rockets level. It's Russell Westbrook on the Thunder level usage percentage, right? Like it's almost to 38%, I think is what it is. Which is to say, for those of you that don't know the statistic, you're touching the ball a lot. And you remove that from this Dallas team, they shouldn't have nearly been as far ahead as they were in this game. They were ahead at one point by like 20 points. Well, and if you want to talk about leads, look at the Memphis game last weekend where they were up 25 at halftime 
and they win the game by two. Yeah. And we're one shot from John Morant or Desmond Bain away from talking about one of the biggest blow-ups that you've ever had. I wonder if the bench has just run dry. Because they've been asked to play a lot more minutes than they probably would have expected these last couple of weeks. Remember the problem that we've run into the last two regular seasons with the Suns, where they win enough games in the in the regular season last year, where you and I start talking probably in like March or April, we start talking about, hey, is it time to rest some of these guys before we get to the playoffs? And the Suns said no. We're putting the pedal to the metal. I remember JaVale McGee on our station saying something about, we want to put the foot on the neck of our opponents. Mm -hmm. And they did that, and they get to the playoffs, and then their bench had no role in the playoffs. Campaign was awful. Landry Shamit was bad. The bench was bad because they didn't contribute all that much at the end of the season. Right. Chris Paul falls off the face of the earth against the Mavericks last year. And you all start to wonder, oh man, maybe we should have, uh, hindsight 2020, but maybe we should have rested some of those guys. And now I'm looking at them right now. I know they're shorthanded, so you got to play somebody, but you're really going to roll Chris Paul out there for 38 minutes every game now? Also, just the level of value of said rotational piece you to get back, it's... it For Crowder, you mean? Yeah, you're, get, you're probably going to get a bench guy at this rate. I think you're going to get... Equal or lesser value for Jay Crowder, and equal but, value seems like a stretch. Okay, let me put it this way. Eric Pincus, who covers um, basketball for Bleacher Report, he said that the Suns are a name that is connected. The Suns are a team that has been recently connected to John Collins, the forward from Atlanta. You're not getting John Collins and it's Jay been Crowder shot trade. Down before too. I believe Gambo has shot it down, if not their interest in John Collins, I mean. Right. Yeah. Or like the discussions haven't been there, or he's just he's too expensive, or he doesn't interest the Suns, whatever. Based on Gambo's Why would reporting. Atlanta do that deal? It's just not working out the way that it is right now. You've got a two is guard. Jay Crowder going to fix that? A two guard system, and it's not working. Well, he'd certainly be an adult in that room. Would he? That team's not an adult in the Suns' room right now. Fair point. I mean, listen. I think that part of the value of Jay Crowder is his leadership ability. But where's that been this year? He chose not to be a leader on this team. He was, I think, what we all assume no, you know happened what? You know is what? he was told, you're not a starter anymore. And instead of saying, you know what, that's okay, I'll earn my minutes, I want to win with this team, he said, well, then I'm out. Jay Crowder is going to be the one that we're going to blame. Because the Suns haven't said anything, and Jay Crowder has basically just been whining through Chris Haynes this whole time. I've been and begging like, for oh, transparency. It's, it's never been about the money. It's never been about the money. Okay, so it was about the minutes? No, it's never been about my role, the team, the guys, respect my decision, blah, blah, blah. Well, which one is it? What happens if you get past the trade deadline and they haven't moved him? Then he gets bought out. And you then buy you, him out? And then you're really sunk because you know what this last couple of years has looked like for the Suns? You didn't extend DeAndre Ayton in his rookie contract deadline. You then waited for someone to give him a max deal and then pounced on it at the last moment. This infighting with Jay Crowder, who clearly was upset that his minutes were going to get reduced. He wants a new contract. Nobody wants him because he's been sitting for 50 games. And then what? If he gets past the deadline and doesn't get traded, you have to buy him out. And then you get nothing. What if you hold on to him? What if you don't buy him out? What a waste of $10 out of million. Dollars. What a waste. Well, you're going to be spending the $10 million whether you buy him out or not. So why not stick it to him and say, hey, you didn't want to play for us. We don't want you to play for anyone else. We're still trying to win a championship over here. We don't want you to go and play for the Mavericks and see you in the playoffs. We don't want you to go over and play for, I don't know, another team in the Eastern Conference and see you in the in the NBA Finals. It's more about us not wanting you playing for someone else than it is about us doing right by you. Because why would we do right by you at this point? You didn't do right by us. Good point. Maybe you don't buy a guy out. 
It's a very interesting point. I'm looking forward to it. We're two weeks from the NBA trade deadline. I'm very curious to see what the Suns do. Most importantly, what they end up doing with Jay Crowder. Coming up next, we touched on the AFC. Time for the NFC. And perhaps a quarterback battle that literally nobody expected at the beginning of the year. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Just a couple of boys in the studio. It's not exactly a hood in here, but we'll work with it. Mitch and Steve back here with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. A couple segments ago, we talked about the AFC matchup for the NFL's championship round this weekend. And very, very, very much and very heavy props to you. If you at the beginning of this NFL season had Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy as your quarterbacks in, NF- in the NFC Championship weekend. Yeah, the Eagles have kind of felt like the team of destiny at times this year. Uh, they've kind of been the number one seed and kind of been going at it for the entire length of the year. Whereas the Niners really turned things around. It kind of happened to coincide with Brock Purdy taking over. And they win, what, the last five games of the season with him? I think they carried a 10-game winning streak into the playoffs or eight games, something like that. And the team just can't lose right now. So I've been this this huge fan of the 49ers. I know it's kind of taboo or not okay for people in the Cardinals market and here in Arizona to be rooting for the 49ers, a division rival. But at the same time, I'm cheering for Brock Purdy, an Arizona kid. Perry High School. The last pick in the NFL draft. I'll tell you this. I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, Obviously, nobody's going to touch the Tom Brady story, right? He was pick, what, 166? Uh, he was picked like, he's I don't like know, 190, the, late sixth or whatever. There's it was. a bunch of quarterbacks picked before him. Uh, and he goes on to win all these Super Bowls. Nobody's going to touch that. But, but when it comes to the next best story, how about the last pick in the draft, which I think is even more telling than being an undrafted free agent? Because when you're an undrafted free agent, you can go to a good situation. Sure. This guy was passed over time and time again. He's too small. Doesn't have the arm strength. Can't see over the offensive line. Went to a uh, Power 5 school in Iowa State, but not a great football college. He didn't have the track record. He didn't win the Heisman. None of that stuff. But this guy becomes the starting quarterback just kind of by default. In an organization where Jimmy G, I've been advocating for all along. I never thought they should have gone after Trey Lance. I think they should have just realized the grass isn't always greener. And that all they do is win with Jimmy G. And then here comes Brock Purdy, who if you win multiple playoff games with, and maybe they even go to the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl with him, the whole narrative changes. And now all of a sudden he's your starting quarterback moving forward. That is an amazing story. So let's. I want to create the extreme hypothetical for a second. I like hypotheticals. So if he wins Sunday and then wins the Super Bowl. Yeah. Do we then start really, really considering the Tom Brady comparison? No. Tom Brady won. Okay. How many Super Bowls does that guy have? Here's what I mean, though. I lost track already. Here's what I mean, though. It was his second season that he won his first, right? This is Brock Purdy's rookie season, if I'm not mistaken. I see your point, but so he would need to go on to win a bunch. That's what I mean. It's like he would need to go on. He would need to be the face of this organization now. He would need to be their number one option at quarterback. And he would just be the ultimate winner story. He's the next one. Now, I'm going to put, put, 
I'm going to poo-poo my own theory. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm scared about this weekend to begin with. This Eagles team is absolutely a juggernaut. Granted, they may have gotten an easier matchup against the Giants, but I'm sure they would have done the exact same thing to that Minnesota Vikings team, which they had already done earlier in the year. The San Francisco defense is probably going to get tested. I saw an article the other day that they haven't really faced a scramble quarterback this year. And when they did, Patrick Mahomes really beat the crap out of them. Scored like 43 points on them. I wouldn't call him a mobile quarterback, but... I Like we talked about, he gets out of he's trouble. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I think that this might be the toughest challenge for San Francisco's defense yet. Oh, it and will maybe... Be. This could determine how interested some teams are in D'Amico Ryans as coach. I'm not saying it's going to be an overwhelming determining factor. No, it's one game. But like, if you win this game versus if you lose this game, your perception changes, right? Think about how many people get jobs like in sports. Think about how many people get jobs as a result of how well they do in the postseason and not the regular season. Yeah, just look at the contract that the Diamondbacks gave Cody Ross. Oh, <laughs> How was my analogy there? Remember that? 2010 San Francisco Giants hero got paid a lot of money. Remember that? Yeah. Pablo Sandoval coming off of the Giants in 2014 got a lot of money with the Red Sox. No, but But you make a good point. It's a resume builder, right? Yep. 100%. How he does against the Eagles matters for his job. Because what do people care about in this league and every sports league more than any other thing? They want to win it all. And the only way you can win it all is when you can win the games that matter most. Regular season and playoffs and the big ticket. The thing about the Eagles, and, and maybe it's I'm drawing too many comparisons because Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray both played at Oklahoma. They were both transfer quarterbacks uh, that found a home under Lincoln Riley. Maybe that's why I'm connecting the two. But watching the Eagles was so painful last week for me as a Cardinals fan because of how effortless their offense is, because of how they pieced it together, because of how they went and acquired A.J. Brown in the within a year of Getting Heisman value at the wide receiver position. Jalen Hurts' veins are ice cold. That dude, I don't even know if he has a pulse. And his skill set and size are similar, similar, comparable to Kyler Murray. So I watch this Eagles offense, and I think to myself, like, how can it be that easy? And I know it's not easy. Certainly in the playoffs, it's not easy. But how can they look like that and the Cardinals... Look the way that they do, throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage so freaking often. Well, one big thing that I remember hearing about, remember last year the Eagles were like 3-6? and six? They snuck into that last playoff spot last year, right? And then they got killed by Tampa on the road, and everybody's like, oh, whatever, it's blah bitty blah And then this year happened, obviously, and everything was going great. The offense was awesome. They got all the way to 8-0, et cetera, et cetera. I remember reading there was a massive change that had happened the prior year. Well, Massive in the sense of, you know, ego. Nick Sirianni had been the play caller for that three and six stretch. And then eventually he handed it over to Shane Steichen. And has been that way since that three and six start. And now look where they are. And do you see, do you see the way Nick Sirianni behaved? In the Giants game, he's like mean mugging the camera. He's doing the nods. Wasn't he's he tell- the one who yelled, I know what I'm doing. He's telling the refs off, like, I've got this. I know what I'm doing. I like that, actually. But think about how much, what's the word I want to use? Think about how much effort or recognition. Think about how it felt internally to have to accept the fact that you weren't the one that was going to push them over the edge. 
because you're focusing way too much on one thing and not the other thing. You just need to be the head coach. Let me handle the play calling because I'm over here. I'm not doing anything else. And look at where it's gotten the Eagles. Is that comparable to here in the the, the Valley? Cliff Kingsbury never really wanted to let go of play calling, and they only had one winning season in four years. If I can uh, sidestep for a second, one of the most interesting things, and this is totally not serious, what I'm about to say. Uh, okay, I won't take it seriously, but go One ahead. of the things that I, I noticed the most when I watched the 49ers is the forehead space uh, <laughs> on the helmet for George Kittle and Nick Bosa. <laughs> They have the most awkwardly shaped helmets, and I'm sure they're like designed to take bigger impact or whatever. It's like a frontal lobe protector or something. I'm sure that's what it is, because those guys literally get paid to bump heads with other human beings who are like 300 pounds. Right. Um, So I'm not judging them. I'm just judging the look of the attire, Um, because I don't feel like I've seen a helmet look like that anywhere else in the league. But their two best players, or two of their best players, wear them, and I find that very interesting. It's like, it's like a out. furrowed brow, but on a helmet, kind of. Well, it's like, you know how we always made fun of Peyton Manning because his head was so tall? It's like, it's like Their gotta, heads look so wide you like, forward. You like hit your head and then it swelled up yeah. and you got this big bruise, yeah. but it's just always there. Yeah, you're like, do they have like a huge massive bump under there it's or what? what it looks like. Anyway, I just wanted to mention the attire. Who do you think wins? I am going for the 49ers. Like I mentioned earlier in our AFC preview... I think I'm a narrative guy. You know that. I would like big stories. And while Jalen Hurts and the Eagles going back to the Super Bowl for the first time since Nick Foles took them there, I think that'd be a great story. But I think the better story is Brock Purdy and taking over and being the third string quarterback and the trade midseason for Christian McCaffrey, who might be the best running back in football. And Nick Bosa might be the best defensive player in football this year. Certainly one of the best pass rushers. So I'm going 49ers. I hope that they end up playing the Bengals, and then no matter who wins, it's going to be an incredible story. This also just feels like the perfect setup for a lot of people to be let down, right? 49ers, oh, they really, really struggled against Dallas. Brock Purdy probably had his worst game so far in this 10-game, 11-game winning streak that they've been on. The Eagles, man, look what they did to the Giants. They shut them down. They had 28 points at halftime. They had... Anything that they could possibly want on the ground in the running game. They had three 100-yard rushers. Like, Don't be surprised if you're disappointed by the end of it all. Well, I'll tell you this. There's no bad matchup in the Super Bowl this year. No. There's no one team in the, of the four that are left that I'm like, oh, man, if they made it, I'd be disappointed. It's going to be good no matter I what. I mean, like, even outside the quarterback matchup, there's plenty of specialty and it's skill position players that... It, and coaching. Love. Andy Reid... Yeah, I mean, I love it. I know he already won his Super Bowl, so he's already kind of been vindicated he for just, his career. Look, but he just wants another cheeseburger. That's he's one he of wants. the most lovable coaches in the league. I think that there's a lot to love. Kyle Shanahan deserves that opportunity as well, by the way. Coming up next, we're going to give you the absolute latest on the Arizona Cardinals coaching search and all the candidates that are left. By my estimation, there's about six. And I'll tell you what, I'll give you my list of the remaining candidates from one to six. It's coming up next. <laughs> Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, Frank Reich is out. He's going to be the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers, so he's not going to be the Cardinals' next coach. By Dan the way, Quinn is out. Quick detention on that. Oh, okay. Their first quarterback in franchise history, Frank Reich of really? the Panthers. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting tie. Interesting reunion, indeed. 
So he's out. Dan Quinn is now out. He pulled himself out of the running from all uh, jobs he was up for, including everybody, because he was uh, wanting to return to the Cowboys as defensive coordinator. He just loves it there. He likes working for them. Feels like a good gig. Okay. Good. One of the better coordinator gigs. We felt that way uh, when they've had defensive coordinators in the past. So I totally get it. So with those two guys out, the Cardinals are left with a couple of candidates, including in-house candidate Vance Joseph, defensive coordinator. They've interviewed other defensive coaches like Evero from Denver, Glenn from Detroit. Uh, Brian Flores is a defensive-minded coach in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And D'Amico Ryans, they asked for permission to interview. They have not, to my knowledge, talked to him yet. He's still obviously he's, in the he's playoffs. He's kind of busy. He's a little busy. Um, <laughs> I thought they had an interview scheduled for Sunday, and then they canceled it and then because there was it was game the, day. That very interesting Jay Glazer report of like, oh, well, he finished his interviews with Denver and Carolina, or Denver and Houston, but then he canceled on the Colts and the Cardinals. Now, was it canceled or was it rescheduled? But it's also been a full week since that. He's not allowed to talk to them this week, so that would probably explain why. But... That one feels like it's not going to happen anymore. It feels like it, but if they're at least interested in talking to him, uh, then I have to continue to put him on the list, I guess. Sure, absolutely. And then the big one, Sean Payton, the only offensive coach that is still, to our knowledge, being interviewed for this job, um, and obviously one who has Super Bowl experience, albeit 13 years ago, and he would also require some draft compensation. So you're left with six candidates. Uh, I just went ahead and ranked them in order of how I would like them. Okay. You want to hear that? Can I predict? I mean, you can if you want. Like, what? How would you like to approach this? Would you just like to present them, or do you These, want me to predict? Let me for let you. me just present, and you tell me how you feel about it. Because all right, we'll go I, one by one then. I ordered these completely based on how I would like them. Number one, Sean Payton. It's this the feels obvious. obvious. Yeah, it's the obvious because he's won a Super Bowl as a head coach. He's got experience in molding offense. He's been widely considered one of the best offensive minds in football for a long time. He did amazing things with Drew Brees in uh, New Orleans with the Saints. He would be the guy you would trust to elevate Kyler Murray, which we all agree should be the number one priority for the head coach. It should be an emphasis, but it should not be the only thing that Sean Payton is hired for. I get it. The quarterback is a massive, massive part and investment of this organization right now. Of every organization, really. But you didn't just fire Cliff Kingsbury because he couldn't make it work with Kyler Murray either. You fired him because he wasn't the great head coach as well. So if you're going to hire Sean Payton, yes, there needs to be a massive emphasis on Kyler Murray's growth and development, but he also needs to be a head coach. The cons to Sean Payton, number one, draft pick compensation. You're going to have to trade for Having him. to pay for him. Yes. He's got, what, two years left in his deal with Saint, uh, the Saints, so you're going to have to move some picks. I don't know what that looks like. I would love it if it was a second rounder or less. Realistically, it might cost you a first or multiple early picks. So that complicates things. Also, he's still interviewing with the Broncos. I think the Houston job is more and more uh, going away from Sean Payton. I think it's probably for somebody else that we'll talk about. I feel like the Payton sweepstakes is honestly between Arizona and Denver. I don't think Houston's interested and the Colts didn't get an interview. He's my number one on the list because I think you can easily sell it to the fans. I think you can easily sell it to Kyler Murray and the rest of the team. He's got the track record. Number two on my list, D'Amico Ryans. I'm just going to feel weird about it if he doesn't get the job because I'm always going to be left wondering what if. Everything we've heard about D'Amico Ryans is that he's an incredible leader, that anybody would follow him into battle, that they would run through a wall for him. And 
He's the most qualified coordinator in this race. He's got a top 10 defense, top 5 defense in the last two seasons as coordinator. Those are the only seasons he has, by the way. Yeah. And he was a great defensive coach before that even. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Robert Sala. Back when he was the defensive coordinator that kind of came out of nowhere for a couple of years. Really elevated that San Francisco D and then he got the job at the New York Jets. Feels like the same trajectory for D'Amico Ryans. Now, obviously, they're two very different individuals, but both of them have obviously shown great success in the areas that their main focus was. Like, yes, the Jets weren't necessarily a great team this year, but their defense was awesome, and they drafted really well for the most part in assuring that defense. And quite frankly, it almost feels like they're the Broncos from last year, this year, where the only thing that's missing is a man under center. Like, they have a really, really solid 52, and then there's the 53rd. Yeah. And they need to get that fixed. The hard part about hiring D'Amico is right now the Cardinals, I don't think, have talked to him, or he's not talking to them. I would understand him being very interested in the Houston job. It's where he was a player. It's where he came up as a player. Um, and also, he's talking with the Broncos, and they reportedly love him as well. So it just feels like he's probably a better fit in one of those two places. That makes it complicated for the Cardinals. Yeah. Number three on my list. And maybe the safe pick, if you're trying to bet money on who's going to be the next Cardinals coach. Brian Flores. Former head coaching experience in Miami, where they were on the up and up. Uh, then we know what happened with the lawsuit, and he is suing basically still, the whole still league. Suing. Still, still suing. Still suing the league for and racism. The, and the Cardinals are included in that suit specifically because Steve Wilkes has joined Flores on that lawsuit. That's what makes it a little weird, is that kind of indirectly, Brian Flores is suing you and asking for a job at the same time. And that's a little odd, but we've talked about how he ties in very well with Monty Ossonfort, the new general manager. They were both in New England for yes. over a decade together, one in scouting, one in coaching. They have obvious ties together. I would think Monty Ossonfort knows a thing or two about Brian Flores. He's my number three. If you want a culture changer, there it is. There's your dynamic duo. Like He would be take, no nonsense. Taking the dudes that were part of the Patriot way for almost a decade yeah. and bring them here to Arizona. Like, there's your automatic fix for the culture problem. How would that mesh with Kyler? Because I can't see Kyler yelling at Brian Flores on the sideline like well, he did at Ky- uh, Cliff no. Kingsbury. I can't <laughs> no, see that no. going over well. No, 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 no. There's no coach bro when it comes to ro- no. when it comes to B flow. B flow. Are we gonna call him that? Is no, that I was just trying to find a, a, a nice little rhyme there. <laughs> I like B flow. There's there's no coach bro with B flow. Gotcha. I'll but, bet he would never go by. But B-flow. to your point about Murray. There was reports out of Miami when he got fired that he rubbed to a tongue of Iloa the wrong way. And clearly, there was, well, look, the, the whole Tua situation this year has been a mess. But even the three years prior, trying to figure out if he's the guy, kind of hard to do when he keeps getting benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick. No disrespect to Fitz, but you can't evaluate if he doesn't play. Number four on my list. I'm going to butcher the name. Ejero. Evero. I almost said Eberflus. You almost said Eberflus. Eberflus. <laughs> That's a different guy. Ejero Evero. Did I know that? Eh, kind of. Okay. I was close. It's okay. After a while. And the name having, doesn't matter. The ha- resume does. Having an impossible last name to pronounce, I completely feel yeah, for My Ejero last name Evero. is Zinsmeister. You know how many people have messed that up in my lifetime? Um, I'm picking him because of the track record. The issues in Denver were not his fault, even remotely. 
And I think that Denver has always had a really impressive defense, but I think that he brings a good track record from outside of the building. And I have him only slightly ahead of another candidate that is in-house, Vance Joseph. I think that they both provide a lot of the same things. So is that last on your list? No. Where are we at on your list? So we're at five. Okay. Uh, five is Vance Joseph. Okay. And we, you can evaluate this here in a second, but I'll, I'll throw them together because I have them almost 4A and 4B. Okay. Like, I would be fine with either one. Vance Joseph comes with the built-in respect of the locker room. The team already likes him. Ownership already likes him. They know a thing or two about him. He has head coaching experience, whereas Evero does not. So that's the main difference. Yeah. That's my four and my five. Number six and Aaron dead last. Glenn is Aaron Glenn. That's not his fault, though. Not at all. He might be the best leader of men you could find in the perfect model of his head coach, Dan Campbell. He might be that guy. But the how do you convince the fan base that the Detroit Lions defense from 2022, that that guy responsible for that defense is going to be your head coach, just production-wise alone? I can't imagine fans being okay with that. I don't know a thing about Aaron Glenn. Okay. He might be the best dude in the world. Well, like the closest comparison that we'd probably have of like, would you pick this guy over this guy based off of their previous job performance, I would think would be Vance Joseph and Aaron Glenn. Would it not? Both of them with like subpar to mid-tier defenses yeah. in their previous years. I think that's why they have them in my last three slots. Perhaps they are great leaders of men. Perhaps they do command respect in the locker room. I mean... Was that not a big reason why Vance Joseph was hired the year Cliff Kingsbury was? Because he had had the head coaching experience, albeit unsuccessful head coaching experience. What? Now that I think about it, you look in hindsight and you're like, oh man, why did this not work? Well, there you go. That's why. It just doesn't feel like the right move to make for this organization. If you want to, if you want to emphasize improvement and growth, you cannot stay within. You can't. There's, there's two main things I look at with head coaching candidates. Very quickly, I'll run you through this. One thing is production. How good were they at what they do best, offense or defense? And five of these six candidates are defensive coaches. So how good were their defenses? If you're Sean Payton, how good has your offense been? That's one thing I look at. The other thing is leadership ability. And all of these guys are good leaders, by my estimation. Whether it's Payton, D'Amico Ryans we hear a lot about, Brian Flores, people liked him uh, in Miami. Evero, Joseph, Glenn, they're all good leaders. So I have to look at production at the end of this list. And while I can see it for Evero, I can kind of see it with Vance Joseph, although I wouldn't go that route. I can't, I can't see either one of those for Glenn. He might be a great leader. There's no production there from the Detroit Lions this past season. And that might not be his fault either. They didn't have a lot of great defensive players not named Hutchinson. <laughs> but that's my list. One through six. I don't know how realistic some of these candidates are. So hit me are. again, just name by name. Number one, Sean Payton. Okay. Number two, D'Amico Ryans. Very interested to know <laughs> what that would be like. Number three, Brian Flores. Maybe the safe pick. Number four, Evero from Denver. I'm intentionally leaving his first name off because I can never get it right. Number five, <laughs> Vance Joseph. Number six, Aaron Glenn. Because I can't justify that pick. That's my list. I mostly agree. I've kind of fallen off the Sean Payton bandwagon. So who are you moving to number one? D'Amico Ryans. See, but he's not talking to them. Not right now. And maybe there's a chance after the game tomorrow that they're going to talk this change. week. Who knows? But I'd be wanting to talk to him if I were Michael Bidwell. Yeah. Hey, how much would you pay for a mouthpiece? Um, Don't answer. Because oh, okay. I apparently have a price point. 
of a certain mouthpiece. I have $3. That I'll tell you about next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. Footnotes, it's the portion of the show where we hit on some of the topics that we didn't really have a lot to say on, but we had to pass along. Oh, I got a lot. Because they were just too good to ignore, right? So I teased going out of the last segment. How much would you pay for a mouthpiece? Very ominous question. I don't know right? how much a mouthpiece costs. I've never been good enough at sports to <laughs> need a mouthpiece. It's been a while since I've bought one, but I can't imagine that they're more than like, what would it be, like 15? No, no more than 15, right? I would think. So one very popular user of a mouthpiece, Warriors guard Steph Curry. So on Wednesday... The Grizzlies hosted. The Grizzlies went on the road and they played the Warriors, and it ended up with a Warriors win. They got a last-second bucket from Jordan Poole to secure that win over the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies at one point had a massive lead. They blew it, and towards the end of the game, Steph Curry got ejected for throwing his mouthpiece into the stands. I feel like he does that all the time. Twenty-five thousand dollar fine. That's nothing. That's a drop in the bucket for Steph. I know, but for a mouthpiece. For a guy that makes like $40 million a year or whatever it is. just thought it was funny. Yeah, that feels like a lot of money to you and me, but to Steph Curry, he's like, yeah, whatever. I know. it's it's Sure, it's a drop in the bucket, and Joel Embiid's got a drop in the bucket fine, too. But He probably spent more money last season on mouthpieces <laughs> than that fine. 25000 for a mouthpiece. It's crazy. You know what happened this week? The MLB Hall of Fame voting. Baseball oh, Hall of Fame. Oh, yes, it did. And you know what? A lot of controversy around this one. Good for Scott Rowland for getting in. He's deserving. One of the best well-rounded third basemen. And third base is a pretty thin position historically. So I'm happy the guy got in. But you're about to go off as to why he's not deserving. What about all the other guys that should be in? What about Andrew Jones winning double-digit gold gloves in center field and also hitting hundreds of home runs? What about uh, Gary Sheffield, who has never actually been tied to steroids, even though everyone seems to think he was? You know what my argument is? What about Billy Wagner? This is going to be the most difficult stretch of MLB Hall of Fame voting that the voters have had in a while. But they're doing it to themselves, quite frankly. I think the writers have the completely wrong mentality. There's this idea... There's this idea that guys don't deserve to get in on the first ballot because they're not that level of player. How much did are they going to be more deserving next year when their numbers are exactly the same right. as they were? How much did their stats improve from a year later, but they increased their vote by thirty percent? Also, it's a tragedy that it took this long for Fred McGriff to get in. It, it didn't even get the. It didn't even get the he writers' the, vote. He never got the vote. He got it from that the, is ridiculous from the elders committee. I forget what they're called. By the way, I saw some numbers this week about uh, Billy Wagner's career compared to Mariano Rivera. The numbers are almost identical. Now you could obviously make the case Mariano was a bu- uh, better postseason pitcher. Rivera had New York. Yeah, I get it. But like Billy Wagner might be one of the best left-handed relievers in the game's history. Which is funny I say that because Wagner also pitched for the Mets. Todd Helton deserves to be mentioned. Probably the best Rocky of all time. I think Larry Walker was better, but shorter lived. He's the face of the Rockies, in my opinion. It's just ridiculous how they do this voting. Good for Scott Rowland. He deserves it. What about all the other guys? By the way, city of uh, Denver, can we please build a Todd Helton statue outside the stadium and replace that old The Player statue? Come on. 
Like, you've got a lifetime recognizable name in Todd Helton, and you've got the player standing out at home plate. Joe That's Random. So boring. <laughs> Joe, Joe Random. That's Joe such Random. an inside joke by you. Um, speaking of baseball, let's stick on this because there was the top 100 prospects list that was released by MLB.com. Yes. Diamondbacks' future looks pretty darn bright. Four of the top 100 are wait, Diamondbacks. Wait, I can do this. pretty high up on the list. Okay. Corbin Carroll is in there. Correct. I think he's like number two or three. Uh, Jordan Lawler. Correct. Andrew Jones. Well, Dr- Drew Jones. Sorry. Drew Jones. Correct. Whose dad should be in the Hall of Fame. Huh. I'm not bitter. Uh, and Brandon Fought. There you go. Pitcher. Triple A. In the top 60. How about that? So Fott Fott is 59. Jordan Lawler is 11. Drew Jones is 15. Corbin Carroll is number two. But you know what? None of them will get into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Oh, stop it. Because the writers are stupid. Uh, You know what's tonight? Oh. The biggest event in sports entertainment. The Royal Rumble is tonight. Oh, jeez. It's going to be so much fun. So I'm not a, I'm not a wrestling guy, admittedly. But last year I went to an event. Somebody invited me over. Hey, come on over to the house. We're going to watch the Royal Rumble. I don't know what that is at that point. I have no idea. It's a WWE event, obviously. I know it's all scripted. It's I know it's fake. Something. I get it. And I go over, and basically what they do is one at a time, wrestlers come out. There's a, men, a men's event and a women's event. And one at a time they come out. And you can have as many people in the ring as necessary until they get uh, knocked out of the ring. When you're thrown out of the ring, that's when you're out. Mm-hmm. You could have 30 people in the ring. You could have two people in the ring. And they bring somebody out every three minutes or something like that. It's actually kind of awesome. Yeah. And it's the second biggest wrestling event of the year behind WrestleMania. And I'm led to believe there are rumors that we could see The Rock tonight. Really? Because Roman Reigns, his cousin, is the current champion. And there's rumors that The Rock might fight his cousin. For okay, the okay WWE but isn't he trying to start up the XFL again? I mean, those he, are two different entities. Isn't he busy working on that? He's bu- he's in he, every the movie. on my side. He's, he says The Rock's busy. This ain't happening. He ain't busy. Oh, yeah, I'm all over this. Once he's brought on wrestling, I just checked in. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Trevor hasn't listened to a single segment today until now. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Let me give Trevor some credit. Hey, how much do you give credence to the NBA All-Star game? Uh, like, not much. The guys that get voted in. Not much. Um, don't really care. Star- I don't think the players care. Well... <laughs> So it's funny you say that because the starters were announced. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell in the East. LeBron James, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, and Zion Williamson in the West. Hmm. But it was also made note of how players voted for other players. I'm just going to read off some of the notable ones of players who got votes. Jay Crowder. Oh, my God. Got two votes. No. To be an NBA Who voted All-Star? for Jay Crowder? Raise your hand. Was it Jay Crowder? Did Jay Crowder vote for himself? I'm, I'm looking around the room. I don't I don't see anybody. Chris Haynes did. Oh, my God. Chris gosh. Haynes voted for Jay Crowder. God. Um, another Phoenix. Two people voted for him? That means at least one non-Jay Crowder person voted for Jay Crowder. Two more Phoenix Suns are on this list, by the way. Uh, Bismack Biombo got three. Not deserving, but I like Bismack a lot, so. Tori Craig got one. Interesting. But again, Jay Crowder got two. Does All-Star every votes. NBA player get to vote? How does that work? I believe so. Okay. Some other interesting names that I noticed on here: uh, Kemba Walker, who is listed on the Dallas Mavericks. He got cut. He's not even on a team. He got cut about a month ago. At least he played some games, though. Jay Crowder didn't. Um, Johnny Davis 
who's on the Wizards, but I believe he's in the G League right now. Never heard of him. There you go. Wasn't Chet Holmgren on there? Chet Holmgren got four votes. Hasn't played a game. He's been out the That's whole year. That's why NBA voting is dumb. It's kind of like MLB Hall of Fame voting. Here's here's Very the best. Dumb. Here's the best two. Udonis Haslam got two. He gets paid to sit on the bench. He hasn't had any minutes this year. Boy, oh boy. And then Boban Marjanovic is everybody's favorite basketball player who never plays. He got one vote. I'll leave you with this story. Uh, ASU color analyst for the basketball team, men's basketball team. Kyle Dodd is his name. I don't know Kyle personally. I've heard him for years I on the station. KB. He's awesome. Uh, he seems like a cool dude. He tweeted the other night that he was out for a bike ride and he was on the phone with his mom and he got attacked. Some dude just came out of nowhere and just tackled him on his bike while he was riding by. No idea who it was. Guy ran away. No clue. Who does that? Senseless. Must have been a wildcat. Literally or? No, like a wildcat, like a U of A fan. <laughs> Somebody who didn't like Kyle or something. But then they would also have to know who Kyle is. Who which... does that? I don't know. Society is so brazen. People are just, do you see the guy the other day that delivered food for Uber Eats on the basketball court? Oh my gosh. I heard that was staged. People will do literally anything these days and it's ridiculous. Uh, a couple of other things, just going to quickly read the headline. Kyler Murray showed his knee surgically repaired. A lot of staples in there. They definitely did surgery on that knee. And DeAndre Hopkins sold a 1957 customer, custom Chevrolet Bel Air convertible at the Barrett Jackson Auto Show. Oh. I'm sure he needed the money. Yes, he did. All 170000 of it. Hey, we want to say thanks for checking out the show today uh, for my co-host, Mitch Varelis, for Trevor Henry behind the glass, who's been paying attention for one whopping segment. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports. The local sports leader.